0: Saldi Stefano is uh, he's, he runs Mind Pump Media with um, with Adam Justin and Doug and these guys have really kind of um changed the game for me in a sense so I they were the it was the first podcast I ever listened to was Mind Pump Media would have been about uh maybe around about 2 years ago so uh I'm 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 one of the veterans, one of the mind pump um, mafia now. I think yeah. is that right, Sal? <laughs>
1: that's it. That's it. That's right. You've been. You, I've, I've, that's why i So we've been talking a while because you were a listener for a long time ago, and I remember you messaged me early on because I think some of the stuff we were saying, you were like, "Man, this is so opposite of what everybody else is uh, is telling me to do."
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and I was going to come to that as well. Yeah, so they helped me evolve into. Well, just to break it down into a into a happier, healthier human, um, but also, yeah, it's just I don't know what the right word is. Maybe maybe unconventional was was the, was the message, but the message was just just what I needed to hear at that time. You know, it's it's health. It's uh, you know, make health a priority. Um, the, the most effective ways to train. You know, different um, different tools you could use as well, like you know, intermittent fasting and whatnot. But more importantly, it just helped me develop. Uh, I think uh, above all. Helped me develop a really mind pump. Helped me develop a really healthy relationship with food, and you know made me put health a priority. And therefore, rather than chasing the aesthetics and the uh, and the image that I was I was searching for the uh, delusional image, you know, because obviously from doing all the fitness competitions and uh, and working my way up to the pro level, I had to do a lot of di- uh, different kind of, um, had to restrict my calories and diet down for, for shows and stuff. And my relationship with food wasn't the best I developed, uh, you know, I I would say like a borderline eating disorder really. But, um, I came out of that really fast after listening to mind bump and applying the tips and, um, and just absorbing, absorbing the information that I was, I was, uh, I was getting from the podcast. So yeah, they've helped me evolve both as a trainer and as an individual. So this is going to be awesome. So, I'm really excited for this. And uh, you ready to roll, Sal? Oh yeah, I'm ready to go, man. Sal's always ready. I'm ready <laughs> to go. <laughs> um yeah, the first question I had for you, Sal, um because as, as we were just saying then, your message um is kind of like the opposite to what a lot of people have gathered from, you know, the information they've they've picked up from, from the internet and and different sources such as YouTube and whatnot, you know, because we live in a day and age where we have more information available to us than ever. But we also are inundated with a lot of stuff which just is incorrect and is uh, misleading people. So your message is very much the opposite, you know, because I used to eat kind of, make sure I used to eat kind of six to eight times a day because I was worried about losing muscle. And, you know, I was constantly chasing the aesthetics and stuff. But your message is just, you know, look after yourself. Um, and the, the different, the, the ways, your training programs, for example, the first thing I did uh, the first program I did of yours was Red Maps, and that com- was so transformative for me because uh, completely different concepts. Anyway, before I go off onto a tangent, um, I was going to ask you what kind of difficulties and resistance have you faced, um, you know, whilst trying to spread kind of the opposite message, you know, um, to, to most to most people in the fitness industry.
1: Well, you know, early on, so when we started uh, the podcast Mind Pump, um, you know, my, me and my co-hosts have been in fitness for. A long time. I've been doing this for about 20 years. And in that period of time, I've trained, mainly trained a lot of trainers and I've trained a lot of clients. So I've, I've taught people what they need to do. And uh, the same is true for both Adam and Justin. And we have a, a real passion for people. And if you do this long enough, and you really have a passion for people, and if you're open-minded, you start to realize that some things uh, are accurate and other things are false in terms of the fitness information um, that we're being fed or that we, that we learn through, whether it be social media, magazines. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to read a lot of magazines, bodybuilding magazines and fitness magazines or, or websites. And you start to see that there's some things that work and a lot of things that don't. And if you really like people um, you, and you're honest with yourself, it's, uh, you can make that transition. If you're not, um, then you end up sticking to the same old song and dance, and you not. You don't ever really get people where they want to go. So, a lot of our first messages or, or early messages were based on that. You know, we would come out with episodes and we'd say things like, you know, if you don't eat every two or three hours, you're not going to lose muscle and you're not going to gain body fat. In fact, that is a complete myth. It's based on zero science, there's no evidence supporting eating small meals throughout the day. Um, it's sold to you because once you believe that myth, it's easy then to sell you a meal replacement or a protein powder or a bar, because if you believe you need to eat six meals a day and you have a regular life like most people and it's, you know, busy, um, the likelihood that you're going to have to replace some of those, those meals with something that's comes in a wrapper is very high. And so, you know, that information was pushed out to sell products. People believed it, I believed it uh, so much that I taught it. And when we challenged it and we looked at the science and we saw that uh, that it wasn't supported by anything and in fact, uh, under a certain under the wrong context, eating small meals is actually pro-inflammatory and may do the opposite, um, we talked about that on the show and we got pushback initially. We had bodybuilders would push back and you know, we talked a lot about supplement companies and how m- many of them have poor integrity and how, um, you know, a lot of what they say is is bullshit and the products, you know, simply not only do they not work, but they probably are not good for you. And we did get pushback initially. Um, we got pushback from the CrossFit community when we came out against a, a lot of the intensity based kind of programming. We actually, uh, you know, I don't know if I ever told this on the show, but the, actually I, I did tell us on the show a long time ago, but the uh, CrossFit headquarters actually sent us a message and told us to not say that their training methodologies were dangerous and so we and we actually recorded a second episode that went even harder <laughs> in the in the direction <laughs> that we had originally done and um you know
0: I remember that yeah
1: yeah you know we've gotten a lot of pushback all, along the way but it doesn't stop us it kind of um, increases our resolve or or strengthens our message a little bit cuz now we want to dig our heels in a little more um, a lot of it is for me personally, you know, I was a kid when I was lifting weights as a kid, a skinny kid trying to build muscle. I fell for a lot of those bullshit myths and yep. I believed them and I bought a lot of supplements <clears throat> and I did a lot of things to my body that weren't great. And as I got older and learned that a lot of that stuff was bullshit, you know, I was angry and I was like, look, I, people need to tell, I want to tell other kids trying to build muscle that these things are false. Um, mm-hmm. but over time that pushback has dwindled and died. Nobody gives us pushback anymore. Part of the reason is I think the fitness industry is moving in the direction that, you know, Mind Pump has been in since day one, which is the merging of real health, fitness, and performance. So it's not now just about how you look. It's also about health and wellness, and people are realizing that they actually complement each other. Um, And the other Mm -hmm. part is – We are not afraid of, uh, I mean, we'll never back down from a fight. So there's been a few times we've had pushback, and we've pushed back even harder, and it didn't work out so well for the other guy. Uh, Part of it is we have truth on our side. Mm -hmm. The other part of it is we're entertaining. So if I'm going to talk about you, I'm going to do it in an entertaining way, so I'm going to get a lot more listeners. And Mm -hmm. um, people might be afraid now to push back a little bit, but – um, it adds it,
0: fuel to the fire now, doesn't it? Really, it,
1: it does. It does. I, I, I'm glad. <laughs> hey, look, I, I tell you what, I'm really happy to see more people going in that direction because, like we talk about on the show all the time, um, fitness needs to be the answer to the health epidemic. It doesn't need. I, I don't. You know, I don't want it to be the problem or part of the problem anymore. Like it. Like it has been for for too long now.
0: Great. So there we go. So on that note, then, that means I can just go straight into uh, one of my questions relating to that. So, I wanted you to just break down for the listeners exactly what a carbohydrate is, okay? Um, Because I try and explain it, but I'm sure you'll be able to break it down a bit better for them. So, on the note you were saying then, you know, we are living in a a day and age now where we're actually facing an epidemic, you know, an obesity epidemic, you know, chronic illnesses Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And uh, it's really alarming because it's moving at a fast rate. So. I know there's more to it than carbohydrates, a lot more to it than that, you know, overeating, lifestyle, loads of different things come into it, but I just thought I would just uh, clear this one up now. So can you explain to the listeners what a a carbohydrate is and, you know, and and there are different types and why overeating? I know overeating calories in general um, can lead to chronic illnesses and, you know, uh, all these things, but... Why does overeating carbs, because overeating carbs can cause insulin resistance and then lead on to diabetes. And uh, I listened to uh, a Joe Rogan episode recently with Chris Kresser, who you've had on your show before, is that right? Right, right, right. And I remember him saying, and I was actually blown away by the stats. I I know it was an epidemic and we were facing some tough times, but I didn't quite realize the extent of it. And he said around about one third of America, so that's about 100 million Americans, uh, diabetic or pre-diabetic. So with pre-diabetic, I think on average, it, uh, sorry, pre- they they, are, they have diabetes or pre-diabetes. And I think with pre-diabetes, I think it takes on average about five years to uh, to progress into full-blown diabetes. And also, he said something like half the nation, half America, are obese. It works out now uh, roughly around about fifty percent or something like that. Anyway, and also uh, talking about you know a crisis. You know, with the uh, financial side of it, I think it costs on average around fourteen thousand dollars a year to treat people with diabetes. So you were saying then, you know, the answer to health is, you know, fitness plays a huge part in that, and obviously nutrition and all the rest of it. But yeah, if you could just give me your right, uh, insight into into what a carbohydrate is and and maybe whatever else you've got to offer me.
1: Well, the current so Western Western medicine does a very good job of treating. Uh, acute uh, issues, acute health issues. So, if you have a heart attack, if you, um, you know, if one of your arteries looks like it's about to, you know, become totally clogged, if you have an infection, you break a bone, you need surgery. Western medicine is is king by far. It's the it's the it's the best the world has ever seen. It has solved a lot of the uh, issues that have plagued mankind for millennia. Uh, on that note, uh, Western medicine is terrible with dealing with chronic issues because of the way Western medicine, uh, the way it works and because of the scientific method, which makes it uh, excellent at dealing with acute problems. It also poses problems when we're dealing with chronic issues because Western medicine looks at a symptom and looks to cure the symptom. And it does so by focusing itself on the symptom and not looking at the body and the mind uh, as a whole, um, and when you look at the human organism, uh, the, it's it's all one, so your your mind, your, your body, your emotions, all these things interact and affect each other, and they're all very important, and when it comes to chronic illness, there isn't, you know, if I have uh, high blood sugar, I mean, I may be able to take a pill that can lower my blood sugar, but we're not dealing with why, like, why do I have high blood sugar, or why am I, insulin resistant or why am I developing diabetes? I mean, it would be great if I had a medicine that could make the diabetes, you know, kind of control it so it doesn't kill me. But if we don't identify what's causing it in the first place, we're, uh, we're going to bankrupt ourselves. Uh, the Western societies will absolutely bankrupt because that's really the literally the direction we're going. Now, when it comes to carbohydrates. You have three macronutrients uh, that uh, are found in food. So you have micronutrients, which are your, Your vitamins and minerals and foods have, by the way, foods have a lot of things in them, you know, many that we've identified and many that we haven't identified. And I also want to say that uh, if we, of all the, of all the things that we know of in the universe, the two most complex things that we know of are the brain, the human brain uh, and how it derives consciousness and the human metabolism or, or mammalian metabolism. It's extremely complex how we can eat something and take food and convert it into energy and you know how we can you know build cells and build tissue very very complex we understand what we know about it but there's a lot that we don't know and there's a there's stuff that we don't know that we don't know and when it comes to food there's a lot of things in food and the way that those things interact with each other and how they interact with the environment and how they interact with the human body and the context of the human body when we're eating it and i mean i could go down a list of Just all the variables that we know of and then there's a bunch that we don't know of. So it's extremely complex. So food, very complex. But if we look at the big picture, we can break it down into what are called macronutrients. Um, Those are your proteins, your fats, and your carbohydrates. Now, of those macronutrients, only two of them are essential. In other words, you have to eat two of them or you will die. And that's fats and proteins. Your body needs to eat fats uh, in order to sustain itself, and you need to consume proteins in order to consume itself. That is not true of carbohydrates. You could go for the rest of your life without ever eating a carbohydrate, and you'll be uh, just fine. Um, so that's one thing that we want to uh, take note of. The second thing is, you know, why we got to ask ourselves why? How did the, why did the human body evolve? to not require carbohydrates to, to survive and to live. And that's because carbohydrates in nature um, aren't super uh, accessible, nor are they super plentiful. If you walked around in nature, we're talking pre-agricultural revolution, you're just walking around, it's going to be pretty rare to find you know, fruit growing somewhere or some vegetables just randomly growing somewhere or just carbohydrates in general. They're relatively rare. Now, when we did encounter them, we probably found a lot of them and we probably ate the hell out of them, but we probably went long periods without any carbohydrates at all. And, uh, you know, on that note, we probably went long periods without any food at all, but carbohydrates uh, in particular. And that's important to know because we probably evolved in that type of a context where we would go for long periods of time without uh, any carbohydrates whatsoever. And we find that when humans eliminate carbohydrates from their diet not only are there uh, no detrimental effects for most people and of course individuals can vary quite a bit but in some cases there's therapeutic benefits for example people with neurological disorders seem to do excellent on a no carbohydrate diet because the body runs off of something called ketones which it makes from fats and those ketones seem to be protective uh, in in the case of uh, neuro you know neurological uh, type issues so that all being said uh, if you eat carbohydrates, they do provide you with a very fast, quick-burning source of energy. It is, uh, scientists will call, will say it's a preferred source of energy, and that's because when you in the presence of carbohydrates, your body will burn those first before it goes to converting fats into ketones. It just prefers it. If you're an athlete and you're involved in anything that involves any type of explosive activity or strength, uh, you carbohydrates are probably better. To consume, studies will show that, you know, you can compete uh, in basketball and, and explosive weightlifting and stuff like that without carbs. But you're probably going to perform better if you eat those carbohydrates because they produce explosive force a little bit better off. Now, the same is not true necessarily for long duration uh, endurance type activities. So, if you're going to go on long walks or hikes, or low intensity jogging, or rowing, or swimming, and you were going to just do it for a long period of time. In that particular situ- you know, scenario, you're probably gonna run better off of ketones because you have you, you store so many of them in the form ketones of ketones, b-
0: just quickly explain, sorry, made to interrupt ketones, explain real quick what that is,
1: uh, the listeners. Ketones are, are uh, the energy that your body will so your body will take fat, convert it, or turn it into something called a ketone, which then your body will use for energy. When it comes to carbohydrates, cool. your body will take a carbohydrate, turn it into mm-hmm. glucose, and then your body uses that that glucose. Your body can store maybe three to six thousand calories worth of glucose um, at any given moment, which you can burn out after three, four, five, six hours of activity. Uh, a lean athlete will store probably up to thirty thousand calories worth of ketones, so you can see that that would be much better source of energy if you're going to go long duration. Now that all mm-hmm. being said, that all being said, I want to be clear: you can overeat anything. I know you already said that anything could be overeaten. But we tend to, in modern society, societies, really, and I'm, I'm being very simplistic because there's a lot here that we need to unpack, but we do tend to overeat carbohydrates. When you eat carbohydrates, they tend to stimulate the appetite uh, in people, um, probably because, because, again, we evolved in, a, in, a, in the context of you know where carbs were, were rare, and when we found them, we eat the hell out of them. So they stimulate appetite, um, but now that we have carbohydrates available whenever, we tend to overeat them. Um, carbohydrates in the form of grains are very, have a great long shelf life. So processed foods, packaged foods tend to be higher in carbohydrates. They just store for a long period of time. Then when you go further and you look at hyper, you know, highly processed foods, most of the money that goes into creating those foods goes into creating a food that is very palatable, highly palatable foods or hyper palatable foods. That means foods that really taste really, really good. They hit those sensors in your brain that tell you that this tastes really good. And they're engineered by scientists to hit on these buttons way more than food in nature ever could. You know, you got, you know, salty with sweet and the texture and the smell and all these different things that you would never find uh, in nature in that combination. And they create an environment where, you just crave the fuck out of them, and you eat them, and you don't get full on them until much later versus eating foods that are in their natural form well, you'll find you'll hit what's called palate fatigue where you know, you'll know eat a bunch of it and you'll be like, "Ooh, I don't want to eat anymore, mm. but processed foods, they go a lot further. You can eat a whole bag of chips. You can eat a bunch of cookies and eat well beyond that where you would normally find yourself stopping. So you know, sure. with knowing all And then, of course, the way the body uses carbohydrates and how insulin that needs to get released in order to take that, that sugar and utilize it as energy. And if you just keep hammering your body with insulin, it starts to adapt by becoming more resistant to insulin. So then you redu- you increase your amount of insulin that you push out. And this cycle continues on and on until you know 10, 15 years down the line. Your body stops responding to insulin and now you have diabetes. So that's mm-hmm. where I think... Carbohydrates can start to play uh, or, or has played a role in modern societies in our health epidemics. But I won't say carbs are the the problem or the enemy. It's really quite, Absolutely. It's quite complex
0: and there's a lot of problems. There's problem. a lot more factors that come into it, right?
1: Oh, there's so much that goes into it. And mm. um, we're really just starting to learn. I mean, you have, of course, the obvious, you know, don't overeat. If you eat more calories than you burn, you're going to store body fat. But it gets so much deeper.
0: I mean, yeah. Thank you. And whilst you're talking about that, this wasn't actually on my little list of questions, but uh, it's infuriating the hell out of me now because there's uh, there's so many coaches out there and stuff who build successful businesses, and hats off to them. And a lot of them, you know, they've, they've got the right idea, but then they're just really um, just blown out of proportion when it comes to calories. Um, just stay in a calorie deficit, and you'll get leaner. And they're really not delving deep enough into. How important nutrients are, you know. We all know how complex the gut is, and I think Sal, if possible, we could maybe in the future do a whole episode on gut health and uh, gut flora and stuff. Because I don't really want to go into that because it's so complex. I just think there's so much to talk about with what you've experienced with uh, gut health and, Mm -hmm. and myself as well. But you know, like there's a lot more to just kind of eating. Obviously, as you said, then you know, the, the bottom line is people are overeating calories, right? So right. they're eating more than they need. They're probably not moving enough. And then all the rest of it, you know, they might not right. be sleeping enough. Whatever else they're, they're doing, which is detrimental to their health. But there's a lot more to it, right, Sal, than a just, lot. okay, stay in a calorie deficit and you'll lose body fat and get healthy. If
1: it was as simple as uh, it's just need to be in a calorie deficit, don't overeat. If it was that simple, we wouldn't have a problem. 100%. We would not have a problem. We wouldn't have... An obesity epidemic. Now you have to ask yourself, why does the why? How in the f- hell can the body continue to push itself to become sicker and sicker? Now remember the human the, the 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 human body, the human organism. Its goal is to survive and procreate. Okay, that's what it does. It evolved to do that. So then, why would your body continue to push you to eat more and more and more, and eat these foods, and you find yourself? sicker and sicker and sicker, or more and more obese, or whatever you want to call it, how could that possibly happen? What the fuck is going on here? And if it was as simple as calories, we would fix it. The problem with that is we're ignoring a lot of the psychology that goes behind it. Uh, Number one, we have completely hijacked our body's signals. For sure, if your body was in a a normal state, if the foods that you ate were natural, uh, and your body was able to understand what was eating what it was eating if your body was able to send out the right signals to tell you when to stop eating, when you need to eat, when you need to, all these different things, you wouldn't see nearly a problem. We have hijacked those signals we've hijacked them with the food that we've eaten and it's not just about calories it's about everything else that's in the food now from a physical standpoint, a lot of what's in our food can make us gain weight and make us unhealthy you know we could talk about how artificial sweeteners affect the the, the microbiome which then, can, can contribute to insulin sensitivity. We could
0: talk about... Uh, microbiome, just really quickly, what is that for the listeners?
1: Oh, these are, these are all the bacteria that live in your gut. And, you know, if you were to add up uh, every bacterial cell, they would outnumber human cells on you by three to one at the, at the minimum. So you're, you're mm. more bacteria than you are human. And your bacteria... I'm uh, yeah. Oh, and, and your bacteria plays a massive role in your health and how you think and how you digest food. It is a part of... Your body's function it should be considered another organ, uh, if you mm-hmm. ask me. But yeah, if sure. if you know uh, glyphosate's, you know these are herbicides that are all over uh, genetically modified organisms or GMO. So they spray them all over food to kill the weeds. You eat some of these residues. They act like antibiotics in the body, so they start to kill your microbiome. They damage your gut cell, your gut lining. You know, I could go down the list, what but kind there's-
0: kind of foods, Sal? Sorry to interrupt you no What problem. kind of foods would you say, would you uh, would people actually consume these glyphosates from them? You, I know you say plants, but what, uh, I mean, is it veg in general or is it more kind of, oh, what, well, what kind of uh, food?
1: So if you, so in the US uh, in particular, uh, if unless it says it's organic, um, you know, I don't know, uh, corn, probably 80 to 90% of it is genetically modified. So what they've done is they've modified the corn in a laboratory- to be able to um, handle uh, an herbicide, so you could spray this corn with this herbicide and it won't die. So this is great because mm. now you can plant your corn, spray your whole field with herbicide, kill the weeds, and your corn is fine. Meanwhile, so they've altered
0: the DNA. They've actually altered the DNA and the genetics of the plant. Then, really, correct to do that. Yeah. Oh yeah, they'll take right.
1: they'll take a gene from a bacteria or from a fish or something, put it in this this you know corn, and boom, it now survives being sprayed with this uh, herbicide. So they'll spray entire crops with it and you're eating this residue when you eat this corn and that residue, that glyphosate, over a period of time, uh, you know, depending on your exposure, can cause problems. So our food is causing a lot of problems in our body and they just stop working. So now your hunger signals, your what you're eating, when you're eating, how you feel, like it's all being altered. So to say that it's as simple as calories is ridiculous. I mean, look around Mm -hmm. when you've got, you know, 50% 50% of the average American is overweight. Um, and, you know, we have got uh, sickness everywhere. And, oh, you know, over, I say overweight because it's so easy to see. You can see that people are just fat, right? Most people who yeah. are fat don't want to be fat, okay? Most cool. people don't want to walk around overweight who are overweight. If it was easy to just eat less calories, we would have – it would be no problem. But the food that we're eating uh, stimulates our hunger in ways that uh, that normal, natural, whole foods don't do. Um we're, you know, we, so we end up overeating, they affect our microbiome, they affect our hormones, and so it's just a perfect storm of just terrible health uh, coming from our food, then you add on top of that inactivity and all those things, so you you have to count that all in because to say it's all about the calories and to ignore the fact that food can change your behavior, change your cravings, can change how you feel. You know, if I eat a cupcake that has the same calories and macronutrient breakdown as you know, uh, a plate of whole natural foods, you know, they may have the same macro uh, breakdown, they may have the same calories, but I'm going to feel different. They taste different. They affect me differently. That will have an effect on me both physically and emotionally and as I go about the rest of my life. So you have to take all that to account, uh, into account. Otherwise, we'll never solve this problem.
0: Great. Thanks a lot, man. That was awesome. And whilst we are talking about this now I might as well go into sweeteners might as well drop this gem for the listeners because uh, there's lots of new studies coming out and stuff and um, you know it's, it's taking them a long time as, as it always does to get conclusive kind of um you know long-term studies and most of the studies are done in rats I'm aware of that but um they're pretty they're, they seem pretty efficient to me um well, based on what I've uh, heard recently uh, there's a there's a podcast I listen to called ATP science they guys guys based out here in Australia and two of them are nutritionists and uh, they really do know their stuff and a recent one I listened to because um, I know you guys uh, you guys kind of made me a lot more self-aware and mindful of artificial sweeteners and what they do to your gut and you know effectively what they do do to your body and, and the kind of effect they can have on you so you know, for example, I used to, uh, much like yourself back in the day, uh, I used to take a lot of supplements, a lot of uh, protein supplements and whatnot, which were laden with artificial sweeteners and colouring and dye and whatnot. And sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure, well, that combined with the unhealthy relationship I had with foods, you know, I was, uh, um, binge eating a bit here and there definitely have done a bit of damage to my gut somewhere along the line because I do get issues um, on quite a regular basis and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it is. But anyway, before I go off onto that, sweeteners. So artificial sweeteners such as, um, I think it's K-A-sulfame, if that's that's how I was pronouncing, aspartame and uh, sucralose, those kind of, of, okay, let's just talk about K-A-sulfame and aspartame, for example. For example, when you have an artificial sweetener, as far as I'm aware, um, this this actually tricks your brain into thinking it's getting sugar, right? So, you, the body then will you'll, you'll, the body will get the sig- the brain will get the signal to release insulin. Um, so it's kind of like, in a sense, having sugar, but you're not getting the calories. So you're not getting the benefits from, or you're not actually getting any calorie or, or nutritional benefits, but you're still spiking the insulin. Now, I've heard also, uh, aspartame and K-sulfame in particular, the new studies are telling us that it actually stuffs up the, uh, the BDNF, the brain-derived brain uh, neutrophic brain factor, mm. which can cause free radicals in the brain. And um, the studies they done on rats, they found that um, it affects the, um, is it the hippocampus uh, part of the brain, is it, if that's how it's pronounced, the part which which controls, uh, which is responsible for memory, and they found that also it, it only took about up to four weeks to completely adjust and kill a lot of the uh, good bacteria in the gut and completely adjust the microbiome in the rats. So, obviously, these artificial sweeteners are uh, they, they're doing something to us. So, uh, yeah, if you could just give us a quick insight because I know you guys are kind of... In a sense, uh, um, anti-artificial sweeteners, and um, you know, you, you, you're very mindful and self-aware of, of of what they are. So, yeah, if you can give us a heads up on that. So,
1: sure. So, um, the the message that we that we're told a lot with uh, with artificial sweeteners is that they are that they're inert. You know, that you can consume this and then it goes straight through your body and there's no effect on you whatsoever, which is uh, totally false. Anything you consume um, that uh, you know, can go through your gut wall or whatever, um, or even just on your gut wall will have an effect on you. Anything, water, you know, food, uh, sweeteners doesn't, doesn't, you name it. It's going to have some kind of an effect. So first and foremost, they are not inert. They are not nothing. There's something. The second thing to consider is when these, these sweeteners were tested and approved, we only tested them for what we knew to test them for. At the time, we had uh, very little knowledge and understanding of the importance of the microbiome uh, on human health. We had no, So we didn't even test that. We had no idea to test for something. Therefore, that testing never happened. Now we know that, that's, that the microbiome is extremely important and plays a tremendous role in everything from mental health uh, to physical health. The other thing too is the, the flavor of sweet. That is a signal in the body. And when you when you constantly hammer the signal of sweet, your body will adjust how it perceives sweet. And so what I mean by that is if I'm always eating a lot of sweet tastes, whether it's artificially sweetened or sugar, I will perceive other foods to be more bland. And if, if there's any bodybuilders or competitors listening, they know that post-competition, when they've been super strict, that even a strawberry will taste like the sweetest candy that they've ever had. Um, so it it does change how you start to perceive food, and it can encourage you to eat more. In fact, there's lots of studies showing that people who consume artificial sweeteners actually will end up eating more as a result. So you may think you're saving calories by not consuming 200 calories worth of soda, but because you're consuming that sweet taste, which is a signal that your brain your brain perceives, you end up people end up eating more food anyway. There are also the uh, there's also the implications of uh, the cronyism that went into getting these things passed in the first place—if you look at the real history of how aspartame became, uh, you know, legalized in the U.S., it's fucking hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious. It is enlighten me, Sean. oh, enlighten it is me. The, the the cronyism involved was just phenomenal. I mean, chemical companies were trying to get this thing pushed through. A lot of backdoor deals were made. Uh, they couldn't get enough votes, so they kicked someone off the panel, put another person on that they wanted. And it's just, you got to read into it. It's a long story, but it's pretty hilarious. When uh, uh, And when it first did get passed through, um, when people would call to complain about you know issues with food, aspartame was in its own category. Well, they eliminated that because that became the number one complaint. People would call and say, I'm getting headaches, I'm getting this, I'm getting that, and so... They cut it out to. It's a huge market. They have a massive influence uh, on our food. Um, uh, the chemical manufacturers that make them have massive influence. So it's just one of those things. But as far as health is concerned, I want to be very clear: uh, powders and bars and whatever are not health food. They're not. They're highly processed. Even the healthiest ones, because I, you know, I'll have one every once in a while, and I'll make sure. It's organic. I'll make sure it's not artificially sweetened, which makes it better. But it's still a highly processed version of food. And real food, real whole food is superior in many ways. And so I always tell people, go for whole natural foods over things that are processed anyway. But when it comes to artificial sweeteners, you have the potential for excitotoxicity in the brain that can start to cause problems in the brain. You have adverse effects which are actually quite common with a lot of these uh, artificial sweeteners you have how it damages the gut once you start to damage the gut you can create the environment for increased food intolerances for hormonal disruptions for uh, you know inaccurate hunger signals uh, as we talked about earlier so you're you're be- now now to be clear, again if you eat you know if you have a, a diet coke here and there probably not going to harm you but if you are somebody who's into fitness and you have your pre workout before your workouts, you have one or two shakes a day in a bar, you have you chew sugar free, you know, gum most days, and you add that up over the over you know 10, 20, 30 years, probably not doing your body any favors. You're probably gonna cause some problem with yourself um, in some animal studies in high doses. These things are uh, carcinogenic. Um, now, I know humans don't necessarily consume. Uh, those ty- same types of doses, but you know, I don't know of any rat studies that last, you know, fifty years or whatever. I don't know of any human studies that last that long. And exactly uh, long-term studies,
0: just like you said before, Sal, about like tobacco, is not it? I remember you saying on the podcast, you know, they didn't have any, they didn't have initially any conclusive studies on that, and then obviously, you know, twenty years down the line or whatever, uh, as we all know they came to realize you know tobacco is not the best view so uh, you know what i mean it's i know it's a bit you know it's, that's a, a rubbish kind of comparison but you see what i mean
1: it's actually it's actually a great comparison uh, if you look at the tobacco industry and how corrupt they were with hiding some of the stuff that they knew <clears throat> and how they had scientists conduct studies and you know put these studies out and you know smoking does not cause cancer i mean they said that so many times scientists were you know being you know they were testifying that it doesn't cause cancer and um, it's just it was it was ridiculous when you look at artificial sweeteners i don 't think it 's going to hurt you in you know three months i really don 't but I do think that they can cause problems over a long period of time and if you 're in the if you 're a health and fitness person and you really want to optimize your life with your health and fitness, just eliminate them you 're not missing much. You can go with you know sweetened products that are sweetened with things like stevia, which is probably a better alternative or just like I said, go with the whole natural foods and uh, you'll find that after a short period of time, you're not going to even desire some of those artificially sweetened products.
0: Mm, and when you say whole natural foods, right? Because I always try and break down uh, how I define whole natural foods. Just just uh, reel off a few foods that have you know that you consume on a regular basis, which has really really helped you know helped you uh, get your you know your health to an optimum state and, and whatnot. What well, what would you what would you say, well, when you say? whole foods,
1: whole natural foods are you know foods that run, swim fly, grow on a tree, grow on the ground that require minimal, uh, processing, uh, in order to be consumed that are, you know, relatively unadulterated or at least not, uh, you know, modified, um, you know, in a laboratory. So I know we've bred fruits and vegetables mm. for a long time to, you know, did change the way they look and stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the, the way we alter them in a laboratory only because, um, then they're sprayed with a bunch of other things. And you end up consuming these, these residues. But just foods that are real, you know, and you know, not something that comes out of a box or has a long shelf life. Uh, those mm. are not whole natural foods. Now, can they sustain you? Yeah, they can, and they technically are food. But you know, we didn't evolve uh, with those kinds of foods uh, available to us, and so they change how we behave, what we crave, how we feel, uh, in, in ways that aren't beneficial. So, if and I'm
0: sure I'm I'm pretty. Oh, sorry, mate. No problem. On. No, no, continue. Yeah, so, so sorry to interact, uh, in, interject, but yeah, on, on the note of sweeteners, after listening to you guys talk about, you know, they're not ideal for the body and stuff. Uh, back in the day when I first started tuning in to the Mind Pump podcast, I decided to eliminate. I gradually just got rid of supplements, and then I eliminated sweeteners um, altogether. I think it was, didn't have any sweeteners for, I think it was about four weeks or something, but then I started having them occasionally, but as you say, you know, it's not going to kill you having something, having some here and there, Um, but it did definitely transform uh, my relationship with food, and the cravings uh, that I used to get for certain foods, like rubbish foods, um, reduced drastically. I didn't really change anything when it comes to, uh, my carbohydrate intake and I was still having simple sugars here and there, but, um, mainly kind of like whole foods, you know, like fruit and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it definitely did. Um, it did change the game for me when I eliminated sweeteners in terms of my cravings and the kind of foods that I would go for intuitively now without thinking about it. Um, d- don't involve stuff which come out of packets. Whereas it was, it was definitely uh, a big part of my, uh, of my daily, my daily diet, really, um, artificial foods. So it did did help me massively.
1: And the, in the fitness industry is, is, is fueled by the supplement industry, which produces a, a lot of revenue, uh, in the fitness industry, supplements sell, I mean, quite a bit. It's a, you know, billion dollar industry. The Mm -hmm. many of them, most of them, and it's starting to change now because consumers are starting to want different things, but most of them are flavored artificially. So you're Mm -hmm. not going to get, a lot of information from the fitness industry that's going to tell you that artificial sweeteners are bad. They would be, right. be killing the revenue. And now that's you right. gotta, now you ask yourself why why do why are why do, are there so many artificial sweeteners and supplements? Well, I'll tell you why. Because if you're going to drink a a protein powder where well, they've taken protein and they've dried it and turned it into a you know something that's got a shelf life of five years and it needs to you know it needs to be palatable because if you've ever had you know, pure protein powder that's unflavored. It tastes like absolute shit.
0: So yeah, rancid.
1: Of, rancid. Of course they're going to add, you know, artificial sweeteners. They want to, you know, because if you make something taste good, we know that consumers are going to buy it. So now the good news is uh, supplement companies, a lot of them are starting to come out and they're starting to be natural, organic, non-artificially sweetened. But, you know, 15 years ago, I couldn't find any. I could not find a single protein powder or bar that did not, that was not flavored artificially. They were all complete garbage. Today, you can start to see that there's a lot of, I mean, one of the companies that were sponsored by, by Organifi, they, you know, they, none of their stuff is artificially sweetened. Companies like that didn't exist before, so I am hopeful. I am seeing the industry start to start to shift a little bit in the direction of, you know, things that are better for our health. Uh, and yeah, not I just use those products as well. Oh,
0: oh. Sorry, sorry, once again, mate, sorry. Oh, no um, problem. Yeah. I, I, i use um i started using organifi as well because um i couldn't obviously after you guys mentioned it and stuff and uh, said you were using it and it being you know natural uh natural sweeteners and you know you're getting quite nutrient dense supplements there really um gram for gram uh, with organifi but i can't really find any on the same on the same sort of level here in australia so yeah i still i still take organifi supplements and i've got a few clients as well um particularly the ones who don't really get enough greens in and stuff mm-hmm. in order to kind of compensate for that. And uh, yeah, I really do like Organifi supplements to be fair. And as you say, it's like um you, you were saying earlier, just one more little thing on sweeteners. You were saying uh, Stevia. And I, I've heard them. Um, is it Erythritol as well? Is, uh, is 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 a decent one? Yeah. Erythritol it, and it, Stevia. It can cause um,
1: uh, stomach upset in some people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and here's the thing with sweeteners. Uh, you know, again, your best bet is just to avoid, All of them, and just eat. You know, a a protein powder is a poor replacement for um, a meal, and you know, a you know a green powder is a poor replacement for vegetables. Now, in uh, again, in the context of modern life, if it's something you're lacking, if you like to enjoy yourself, some like sometimes I like to make smoothies and I'll add it in there. um, Then you know, go for. Or if you're a competitor and you need to push protein a little bit, and you find it difficult to eat, uh, you know, extra protein without getting other. You know, tons of calories from other things. Um, then protein powders is good, but you know, I, I recommend people tend to just avoid them in general. But if you're going to eat them, uh, you're better off going with the natural something that's naturally sweetened, because it's not going to have, or at least it's not as likely to have ne- the negative effects on things like your gut microbiome.
0: Cool. So yeah, I've literally got one or two more questions for you before we wrap this up, sure. and. Um, I had a massive list, but I'm not going to get through them. I'm happy just just to get the uh, most important ones done. So yeah, one of them was let's talk training, right? So uh, talking about um, you know groundbreaking results for me, um, as I said uh, briefly at the start when I done your red maps program, uh, completely. I mean the results I had instantly uh, from using the concepts that you applied, such as just stimulating the muscles more frequently, you know, Mm. um, by doing hitting the whole body and Working the body parts more often, essentially, rather than doing split routine training, where I would be hitting, you know, one body part um, each time. So I'd be doing like chest one session, legs another session, and then spending most of the week recovering, um, using the the way you programmed uh, you programmed your plans, and doing the whole body, and then doing like, for example, um, hitting my weak body parts in the days in between, and just. And the adaptation thing as well, where it would be split into, you know, like strength, hypertrophy, and um, and pump adaptations, so split into three different phases. So just to, just explain to the listeners what you know the, the most effective way to train. Because um, I've, as I said to you before, Sal, I've actually created my own program now using the concepts and um, taking some ideas from the uh, mind pump plans, but put on my own twist on it and added some different things on there based on what I've learned and what are the most effective ways to train and if you could just also just elaborate on the importance of mobility because that's another thing which was gigantically kind of sorry hugely transformational for me was mobility and actually um you know focusing on lengthening out my my tight muscle groups and um priming myself prior to each workout Mm. so if you could just brush through the importance of mobility and the most effective way to train uh, as far as lifting weights goes and, and building lean muscle.
1: Yes, yes. okay, so when, when when we look at exercise or in particular resistance training or lifting weights, you want to understand that resistance training provides what it basically does is it sends a signal to the body and that signal tells the body to adapt. So when I lift weights, um, I you know I can cause some muscle damage, um, I can stress my body out a little bit, I push my body a little bit. My body sees this and then tries to adapt so that next time the same stress or the same weight lifted or the same whatever I just did doesn't cause the same amount of damage or the same amount of stress. Really no different than you know your skin getting darker as you go out into the sun to try to adapt to be able to handle more UV rays. Your, your body literally is adapting so that you can become stronger and more resilient to the same kind of you know training you did before. So understanding that we, when we train people, when people work out, they think of it as uh, the workout itself is what's causing muscle building, which is false. We also confuse recovery with adaptation. So we think to ourselves, oh, I'm sore. Let me wait till my body recovers, and then I'm going to hit it again, and then that means that my body, when I recovered, I got stronger or I built more muscle. Not true. In fact, recovery and adaptation uh, are two separate things. So I can hit my muscle really hard on Monday and still be sore on Wednesday, but by Wednesday, the muscle building signal has now dropped considerably and even though I'm still sore. So if you're going to the gym and you're lifting weights and you're trying to build muscle, what you want to pay attention to is the muscle building signal. You want to pay attention to adaptation. You're not looking at necessarily recovery. Although recovery is an important factor to pay attention to, really it's all about adaptation. Now we know in studies that when a muscle is stressed with a workout – the muscle building signal that they measure, which is uh, they measure it through something called protein synthesis, it peaks at about 24 to 48 hours. In other words, if I work out Monday on day one or two after my workout, that's the, the highest or level of muscle building that I'm going to get. After that, it starts to drop considerably. It makes no sense to wait an additional four days to hit that muscle group. In fact, if I wait an additional three or four days, that signal will not only drop, but then my body will start to a- adapt in the opposite direction and I'll start to lose some of that muscle adaptation. And for, for people who don't believe me, I can I can offer up this challenge right here. Go to the gym, work out your legs as hard as you possibly can, then go home, lay in bed, and don't move for a full week. Lay in bed for a full week. And I promise when you'll get out, you'll have less muscle and less strength. You'll be, you'll be totally recovered. Muscles will be fine, no more soreness because you didn't move at all but you would have lost muscle and strength. So, knowing this, it makes more sense to hit the body more frequently. So, rather than hitting each body part once a week, you're better off hitting each body part between 2 to 4 days a week. Studies back this up. They've actually compared workouts head to head in several studies where they'll take, you know, two groups of men. One group will work, you know, do, you know, 15 sets per body part once a week. The other group will do five sets per body part, but do it three days a week. Same total volume, everything else is the same. In other words, you know, the group that did it three days a week, they're doing five sets three days a week, so they're doing a total of 15 sets. The other group is doing 15 sets, but they're only doing it once a week. The group that does the frequent, more frequent workouts always builds more strength and more muscle. So frequency is very important. It's also important to note that training to absolute crazy intense failure probably detrimental, especially when you realize that you want to train more frequently. It's not a good idea to go in on a Monday and completely devastate your 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 legs because then you can't hit them again on, on Wednesday. You got to wait that full week to recover. But in the meantime, that muscle building signal is gone. So reduce the intensity a little bit. You still want to work out hard. You just don't want to kill yourself in the gym. Take your total volume, divide it by three, hit your body parts three times a week, and you'll get far, far better results. Now in terms of Mobility, mobility really is your is the 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 range of motion that you have in a particular joint that you have control over. So it's not just the range of motion, but it's the control of that range of motion. So I'll give you an example. Um, you could have somebody who's super limber, who can really just get in the splits or you know touch their toes really well, really flexible. But the, if they don't have good control over that range of motion they're still unstable. They can still cause themselves injury. If they go into that deep stretch and then they try to lift something, boom, they pull a muscle or they hurt themselves. So mobility is just increased range of motion, but control within that range of motion. Now working on mobility will help you build more muscle because we know that as you train muscles in larger and longer ranges of motion, you get a better response from adaptation. We know that full reps build muscle more effectively than short reps do. So it makes sense to improve your mobility so that you can do deeper squats with better control, so that you can do exercises like behind the neck shoulder presses, which a lot of people can do because they don't have the shoulder mobility, so that you can get into these long ranges of motion and really stimulate muscle growth because you have control over these long ranges of motion. And lastly, your the strength that you gain from your training is relatively specific to the range of motion that you train them in. In other words, if I only ever go down to parallel in my squats and I get really strong going down to parallel, I'll have a little bit of carryover to a full squat but not much. You could take somebody who could squat 400 pounds down to parallel and I'll guarantee you that they won't be able to squat 350 all the way down to the floor. You just take 50 pounds off and they still can't go all the way down to the floor. That's how much of a difference it makes just that extra – you know, three inches. So mobility and working in those new ranges of motion, uh, or giving you ranges of motions you can work in. Now you're getting more functional with your strength. Now you're getting stronger and deeper ranges of motion. And now when you go out in the real world, you're a much more functional individual and you're not like these bodybuilders who build all this muscle and go to the beach and throw a Frisbee and throw the shoulder out, which is more common than you realize.
0: I think you nailed that one, Sal. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I got my notepad out there, mate. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. One more question for you, Sal. Literally one more before we wrap it up. And uh, it's a bit different, this one. It's taking a little bit of a diversion, but I want to get this one in there. So what would you tell your younger self to do differently, Sal? Because looking at you know your journey and stuff, you start off, like like myself, I've been a trainer for over a decade now. Uh, you've been you've been in, within the fitness industry for like over 20 years. You know, I, I believe you've run your own studio, your own gym. You've managed plenty of gyms as well in the past. Probably trained you know thousands of people and whatnot. And you've obviously you've as far as your eating habits, your health, aesthetics, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, you seem to be at the top of your game now. But just generally, I mean once again I'm going off on a tangent again I, I think I had a bit too much coffee before this Sal, I've realized <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm just banging on now. Um, but anyway, what would you tell your younger self to do differently? Um, yeah, and that was a question.
1: <laughs> so um, if I could go back in time, um, I would there's a few things I'd tell myself in terms of training. I would tell myself to um, avoid uh, supplements completely no need to take them all I would I, you know I'd save myself. Guy, by this point, I'd be a millionaire. I think if I saved all the money that I spent uh, on supplements, I'd probably would save a lot of my. uh, I probably would have 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 a lot better gut health. I've had some gut health issues in the past, and pretty sure that that played a large role. So I'd say, listen, avoid all supplements, uh, eat real food, and train your whole body three times a week, and stick with that, and you'd be a lot. You'll be a lot better off uh, than you are now, following all these other programs and taking all these pills and powders.
0: Boom. Thanks a lot, Sal. So that's that's a wrap. Thank Great, you, sir. Man. It was awesome having you on, man. Honestly, amazing.
1: No problem. No problem.